I feel great. Great. Like, really good. It's been a week since we did our last show. I haven't gone a week without doing a show in as long as I can remember. I feel refreshed. I feel energized. And I am upset. Oh, ah. So many fantasy teams where I drafted Brandon Cooks in the second round. Oh, God. So what happened? What happened? Brandon Cooks can't be very good if he's not being targeted at all in a game in which the Saints score more than 40 points, right? It's impossible. How? 49 points, to be exact. Drew Brees, 310 yards, four touchdowns. The Saints scored 49 points. But here's the problem. Brees only completed 28 passes total. They just happened to go for a lot of yards, and he happened to score a lot of touchdowns. That score was inflated by randomness, and Brandon Cooks wasn't the only wide receiver to disappear in Week 12. Another young, exciting, diminutive receiver who was thought to be in an ideal situation in Week 12, Sterling Shepard, also wasn't targeted. Does that mean Sterling Shepard's a bad player? Does that mean Brandon Cooks is a bad player all of a sudden? No. Brandon Cooks is still a WR1 in fantasy, 16.3 fantasy points per game, number 11 in the NFL among wide receivers. How is that possible? Because Drew Brees has been the best fantasy quarterback, the most prolific quarterback in the NFL, and when you have Drew Brees as your quarterback, he can support multiple WR1s. Just like in the past, Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb posted low-end WR1 numbers with Aaron Rodgers. Michael Thomas, 16.7 fantasy points per game. Brandon Cook, 16.3 fantasy points per game. One of those two players is going to have a big week every single week. That's why I love starting wide receiver duos. You hedge out the risk of the bad performance. If Brandon Cooks is going to post a zero, then there's a good chance Michael Thomas has multiple touchdowns. And that's exactly what we saw in week 12. Nine catches, 108 yards, and two touchdowns from Michael Thomas. His first game over 30 fantasy points, but his fourth game over 20 fantasy points. Only one game on the Michael Thomas game log with less than 10 fantasy points. And that wouldn't be possible on another team. The quarterback matters a lot. This will be a recurring theme for the rest of the season. We were fooled by Blake Bortles last year. We fooled into believing that WR1 seasons by wide receivers tethered to bad quarterbacks are a regular occurrence. They're not. The struggles of Allen Robinson, the struggles of DeAndre Hopkins this year help to illustrate just how good Terrell Pryor has been. Because while Allen Robinson, who we know is an elite wide receiver, he's been an elite wide receiver going all the way back to his sophomore season at Penn State. He's always been an elite receiver. And just because he's not posting WR1 numbers in 2016 doesn't mean Allen Robinson stopped being an elite receiver. Same with DeAndre Hopkins. Both still elite receivers, betrayed by their quarterbacks, betrayed by their offenses. Well, the Browns are doing everything they can to betray Terrell Pryor, and he won't let them. He's posted 15.1 fantasy points per game, number 16 in the league, with some unholy combination Robert Griffin III, Cody Kessler, and Josh McCown. 
Terrell Pryor has been the most impressive wide receiver in the NFL this season. 19.1 fantasy points last week against a giant secondary that doesn't allow a lot of fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. Sharing the field with Corey Coleman, one of the most dynamic young receivers in the NFL, and yet still Terrell Pryor post-double-digit fantasy performances. Remember, Terrell Pryor didn't get it going until week three. If we throw out week one and week two, Terrell Pryor is a WR1 in fantasy. And Terrell Pryor still has five weeks left to achieve WR1 status, and I think he'll get there as long as Josh McCown is healthy. Because Josh McCown is better than Blake Bortles, and he's a major upgrade from Cody Kessler. Because Josh McCown is a replacement-level quarterback, and that's a compliment considering the quarterbacks that the Browns have started under center since Bernie Kosar. Merely replacement level, that's better than Brock Osweiler, better than Blake Bortles, better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, better than Jared Goff, better than Carson Wentz. You go down the list, you realize, wow, okay, Josh McCown is absolutely serviceable. When with a quarterback that's absolutely serviceable, Terrell Pryor can be a WR1. Because game flow is also going to be working in Terrell Pryor's favor, the Browns are 0-12. And strangely, they have a bye this week. Since when has a team had a bye in week 13? I don't remember that ever happening, but it's happening now with the Browns. They had to endure 12 straight losses without a bye week. Oh, God. When he comes back in week 14, Terrell Pryor can help you win a fantasy championship. He's 27 years old. He's going to be 28 next year. So at the start of next season, he'll be past the age apex, but he's still a guy you should be targeting in dynasty leagues in particular. He's younger than Antonio Brown. He's younger than Des Bryant, younger than AJ Green. He's about the same age as Alshon Jeffrey. So you should be targeting Terrell Pryor in dynasty because he has three more elite fantasy seasons left, maybe more. Larry Fitzgerald's 33 years old, and he's posted 17.3 fantasy points per game, number six in the NFL. And the one thing we've learned about Terrell Pryor is that he wants to be great at football. He has persevered through adversity like very few wide receivers have, like very few NFL players have. That's why you see opposing cornerbacks insulting him on Twitter, calling him names, and he replies with a magnanimous gesture, complimenting their play, comforting the cornerback he just dismantled with a gracious Cap tip, good game gesture. Terrell Pryor is humble. Terrell Pryor has the composite material to be great, and Terrell Pryor wants to be great. He's focused only on being an elite football player, clearly. And if a 6'4", 233-pound receiver who runs a 4-4-40, the 128.3, 99th percentile height-adjusted speed score, when that player decides he wants to be great at the wide receiver position and he has the additional benefit of having played the quarterback position for many years so he sees the game through a quarterback's eyes, he has these instinctual advantages that other wide receivers could never possess. When you add it all up, It makes sense that Terrell Pryor has been one of the feel-good stories of the NFL this year and will be for years to come. And I think Allen Robinson is going to be great for years to come despite his struggles with Blake Bortles. His worst game of the year was Week 12. Two catches, 24 yards. But he's had three games with more than 20 fantasy points, so he's very capable of having a great week. The issue is Allen Robinson's playing Denver this week. So we might have to wait another week to see 
vintage Allen Robinson. Again, if you want to bench Allen Robinson this week, go ahead. I'm in the Scott Fishbowl playoffs, and I'm benching Allen Robinson. He'll be matched up with the best cornerback in the league, Aqib Tlaib. So you take a wide receiver who is generally struggling this year with one of the worst five quarterbacks in the NFL and then have him shadowed by Aqib Tlaib? No thank you. Brandon Cooks, on the other hand, is playing Detroit at home. Now, Detroit has been a lot better against wide receivers in recent weeks, but you can't stop the New Orleans Saints wide receivers at home. That's not going to happen. And by far and away, the best player in the Detroit Lions secondary is Darius Slay, and Darius Slay will likely match up on the outside against Michael Thomas. And even though Michael Thomas is looking at a challenging matchup, he's a top 10 wide receiver at home with Drew Brees. So you don't bench Michael Thomas because of the presence of Darius Slay. You start them all. You start Cooks, you start Thomas, you start Sneed. But what about last week? Brandon Cooks didn't receive a target. Didn't receive a target in a game in which Josh Hill received six targets, Tim Hightower two targets, Brandon Coleman a target, John Kuhn was targeted, Tommy Lee Lewis was targeted twice, Brandon Cooks targeted zero times. This is unacceptable. Brandon Cooks is overrated. Matt Kelly was wrong about Brandon Cooks. It's one game. And it wasn't just Brandon Cooks. We talked about it earlier. Sterling Shepard also zero targets in a game in which the DFS experts were playing Sterling Shepard in cash games. Why? Because the thinking was Joe Hayden would shadow. (laughs) This analysis really happened. Because Odell Beckham Jr. would be shadowed by Joe Hayden on the outside, targets would be funneled to Sterling Shepard in the slot. Yes, that was the analysis. Don't play Odell Beckham Jr. in daily because of Joe Hayden. And because of Joe Hayden, play Sterling Shepard. Talk about focusing on all the wrong sorts of details. We're going to build our entire lineup strategy as it relates to the New York Giants skill position players around Joe Hayden? No. Why? Because the New York Giants know about Joe Hayden too. And they lined up Odell Beckham Jr. in the slot for more snaps in week 12 than any other week. If you're not playing Odell Beckham Jr., but you are playing Sterling Shepard, you're overthinking it. You are allowing too many input factors to influence your decision making. It's not that hard. Fantasy football doesn't have to be that hard. The New York Giants are facing the Browns. The Browns give up an inordinate number of fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So you play Odell Beckham Jr. That's not a situation in which you use the projected wide receiver cornerback matchup to throttle your projection for Odell Beckham Jr. No, that's classic DFS spaghetti game theory. If this, then this, then this. That's a classic DFS if-then waterfall that ends in a dry riverbed. When I envision the DFS experts that go on these podcasts and talk about why the presence of this particular cornerback is going to change the entire target share of the team, I just envision that person in their house chasing their own tail in front of a microphone. That's how I envision it. If you keep it simple, focus on a handful of details, you're not going to run into these problems. You don't need to build a lineup that's going to fit through a keyhole. We have the experts weaving scenarios to get a guy in the lineup that doesn't belong in their lineup while excluding the most obvious guy that you would want in your lineup, Odell Beckham Jr. playing the Browns. Just push the button on the auto plays and fill in the rest. 
And even if you're taking the autoplays when they present themselves, if you're like most people, you're realizing, oh, winning money on FanDuel and DraftKings is really hard. Almost 90% of players lose money on DraftKings, approximately 9 out of 10. On FanDuel, 40% of the money goes to 1% of the players. They're playing a different game than most people. If you're not a pro and you're not spending hours a day grinding, the idea that you would win money on FanDuel and DraftKings is fiction. And do you think those pros are sharing their best lineup ideas on DFS podcasts? No, they're not. So what do you do? You change the game. You change the platform. In fact, you don't even have to set a lineup using salaries anymore. There's a new app called Draft, and Draft is based around building lineups using snake drafts, not using salary caps. And the chances of winning on Draft are nearly three times better than they are on FanDuel or DraftKings because you're not constantly competing with Condia in every contest. Draft essentially lets you set up a league anytime you want. For any period you want, you could set up a snake draft against just your friend in week 13. He drafts Le'Veon Bell, you draft David Johnson. He drafts Ezekiel Elliott, you draft Antonio Brown. You build a lineup that way. Or you could get 10 guys together in February and use draft to build a season-long team for 2017. Draft is changing the game, changing the way people play daily fantasy and seasonal fantasy football. Go to the App Store, search for Draft. It's going to be the first application that comes up. And then be sure to enter the promo code UNDERWORLD when you download the app and you'll get a 100% bonus on your initial deposit. Again, just search Draft in the App Store on Android and on iPhones and enter the promo code UNDERWORLD and you can start actually making money when you play Daily Fantasy and turn the entire sport of fantasy football on its head. Now back to me crying about Brandon Cooks. But Brandon Cooks was also a player you wanted in your lineup last week. I did. And like Sterling Shepard, he scored zero points on zero targets. And why? Why is that? Should we be worried about Brandon Cooks? The answer is no. Do you think Brandon Cooks just suddenly forgot how to play? Was Brandon Cooks on this trajectory toward perennial WR1 status tethered to Drew Brees? And then suddenly in week 12 against the Los Angeles Rams... Something inside Brandon Cooks snapped. Brandon Cooks central nervous system suddenly developed some sort of muscle memory amnesia. Did his legs and arms and hands suddenly atrophy? Couldn't run routes as precisely? Couldn't explode out of his break any longer? Couldn't secure the football in traffic? Lost all these skills? These skills just evaporated? Is that what happened? No! It's ludicrous to think that way! Brandon Cooks is the same player he was before November 27th. And so is Sterling Shepard. Do you think Sterling Shepard suddenly forgot how to run precise routes against the Browns? That's Sterling Shepard's great skill. Incredible route running. Do you think he just started running sloppy routes against Cleveland? No. I'm sure Sterling Shepard ran numerous incredibly precise routes. And for whatever reason, he just wasn't targeted. And that's not a big deal. He plays the wide receiver position, which by itself is a highly volatile position where the opportunities vary widely week to week. Even Odell Beckham Jr., who is rewriting the record books for wide receiver productivity through age 24, 
Odell Beckham Jr., who was on pace to be the best wide receiver of all time, no hyperbole, a fact, Odell Beckham Jr. had a 20-yard game, just like Allen Robinson had this past week. Odell Beckham Jr. had three games under 10 fantasy points already this season. And? And he plays the wide receiver position, where the ball needs to travel from the quarterback's hand, out and above six foot five defensive linemen that are trying to bat it down into the catch radius of Odell Beckham Jr. without being deflected or batted down or otherwise disrupted. It's very difficult to complete a pass in the NFL. We lose sight of that sometimes as these quarterbacks and these wide receivers perform feats of athletic brilliance every Sunday, feats of synchronized athletic brilliance. And we take it for granted. And we throw our arms up in the air when Brandon Cooks posts a zero. But that's the nature of the wide receiver position. They oscillate wildly week to week. Even the most consistent wide receivers oscillate wildly based on target share and touchdowns. It's just the position. If you had to think of a reason why Brandon Cooks failed spectacularly in week 12, it's randomness. Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is more often than not the true solution. In a season in which Eli Manning or Drew Brees throws over 600 pass attempts, there will be segments of games in that sample size in which few, if any, targets are sent in Brandon Cook's direction or Sterling Shepard's direction. It's random target distribution. Sterling Shepard was heavily targeted the previous week and then he wasn't targeted at all the next week. Why? Randomness. Football randomness. That's the Occam's razor solution. There's no reason to weave some conspiracy about how a player's skills have degraded in the course of a week. It doesn't mean that Brandon Cook should drop 10 slots in your dynasty rankings. That's not how you do it. And we talk about how our dynasty rankings on playerprofiler.com are created in the Dynasty Dominator. People continue to download the Dynasty Dominator on the website, playerprofiler.com forward slash guides, as well as on Amazon. Search Dynasty Dominator to download it to your Kindle. It's over 100 pages of Dynasty League strategy and tactics. And I was pleased to learn that we've now gone over 100 books sold. I didn't think we were going to sell 100 books in a year. I didn't think that could happen, but it did. I was looking at the numbers yesterday, blown away. But I can hear the buzzards now. Only 100 books? Yeah, 100 books. To me, that's pretty good. That was a lot more than I thought. When I'm sitting down and writing a dynasty guide, I'm thinking 10 people will read it. And when you find out 10 times that number downloaded it, you feel good. I mean, Warren Buffett says happiness is your current situation divided by your expectations. And there's truth to that. We're in it all the time, so we lose sight of how small this community is. But the hardcore fantasy football community isn't that big. The number of people that play Dynasty League fantasy football is not an overwhelming number of sports fans. a very small percentage of sports fans. Most sports fans are more focused on criticizing the sports personalities. And I get it from all directions. The buzzards. Yes. The criticism from the buzzards comes in many forms. Many tones. This past week, it's AJ Boye, not AJ Boy. What are you, retarded? 
I get that a lot on the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, type in Roto Underworld Radio, and you'll read the comments on these YouTube videos. Woo! I went ahead and posted that segment we did a couple weeks ago, the sportification of politics, and my takedown of Ernie Johnson posted that on the highlight channel last night and was treated to these new comments. It's boye, not boy, you retard. So many of you want to lob that retard label at me. I see a lot of that on the YouTube channel. Why that word? Does it make you feel smart to call someone else a retard? Is that what's happening? Trolls come in all different shapes and sizes. On Twitter, I can see a troll coming just by looking at their avatar. You see some people that went ahead and Googled fantasy football in Google Images, and then they go ahead and post that generic fantasy football logo with a character in a hood playing football, some sort of white wizard playing football. Every time I see that logo, I think, oh, it won't be long till this person's blocked. And sure enough, I read, the fantasy experts are ranking Cam Newton too high. Where do you have Cam Newton? I bet it's too high. He's not a top five quarterback. Okay. We had Cam Newton at nine. We had him projected for close to 20 fantasy points. I think he scored 21 fantasy points. So we nailed our Cam Newton projection, but you're just a troll. You don't actually care about player profiler or Roto Underworld Radio. You don't care enough to subscribe to the site. You don't care enough to become a patron, an official minion, a supporter of the show. You just feel the need to go onto social media and go through this exercise of expelling this negative energy in my direction. And then so I mute that person. Okay, fine. You're a person that's never going to subscribe to the rankings because you assuming I'm ranking Cam Newton in the top five illustrates that you know nothing about our process at playerprofiler.com. And you never will, so I can go ahead and mute you. And then later, calls me a pussy for not replying and ranking Cam Newton too high, even though I'm not a zombie expert ranking Cam Newton in the top five. We nailed his projection. Stop calling me names. The hell is wrong with you? Earlier in the season, we had Joe Flacco ranked a couple slots ahead of Matt Ryan. And for some reason, this really bothered a fan of Matt Ryan's tweeting me over and over and over again, reminding me that my ranking of Joe Flacco ahead of Matt Ryan was wrong. It was wrong. Joe Flacco had the best possible matchup. Matt Ryan did not. We had Joe Flacco at nine, Matt Ryan at 11, something like that. Joe Flacco had a couple touchdowns. Matt Ryan went out and scored 40 fantasy points. And we were wrong. But why the need to remind me that you had Matt Ryan ranked ahead of Joe Flacco? That you were right and I was wrong. Why? It's not productive. It just makes you feel better. Trolls on YouTube correcting me on Cooper Manning. As if I didn't know that Cooper Manning had a condition that prevented him from playing football. Of course I knew that. It's very easy for me to know who gets the show and who doesn't get the show. The people that get the show listen to the show because they think that my understanding of the sport of football is at a level that is illuminating. And if that's true, of course I know who Cooper Manning was. That wasn't the point. The point was that the Houston Texans not drafting Derek Carr because his brother was David Carr would be like the Houston Texans drafting Cooper Manning even though they knew he couldn't play just because his brother was Peyton Manning. That was the point. Yet felt this need to correct me? Why? You're not my mother. 
Social media is not a platform for you to mother sports analysts. I say mother, but then I realize a lot of you resent women. I posted a video about Tyreek Hill's upside on the YouTube channel. And then I celebrated Tyreek Hill scoring three touchdowns three different ways. Rushing, receiving, returning. Hasn't been done since Gale Sayers. Something to celebrate. What is the feedback I receive? You can put those Tyreek Hill points in your vagina. Fuck is wrong with you? You simultaneously want to act like a mother figure correcting my every mistake all the while resenting women and those with learning disabilities. Great. It's great. And these hateful, spiteful, insecure people are ruining social media. I do not respond to start sit questions on social media. Many of you are finding that I don't reply to you on social media any longer because it's not worth it. Because if I recommended that someone start Brandon Cooks last week, a troll would grab that tweet and then mock me with it. I shared my thoughts in a public space with someone who was asking me for my thoughts. And then someone else who overheard my thoughts in that public space recorded those thoughts. And then later, once the result has occurred and the answer has been revealed, only then knowing the answer taunts me with my own free advice. So once that happens enough times, it's over. I'm telling you this because I don't want any members of this audience who respect my opinion, who enjoy the show, who are reaching out to me on social media and not getting a reply. I don't want you to feel bad. It's not that I'm ignoring you. It's that I've concluded that speculating publicly about week-to-week -week player performance has no upside. It only has downside, so I just don't do it. And if you want to know how I think players will perform in week 13, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And like with the Cam Newton ranking last week, our rankings have been exceeding even my expectations this year significantly. Our system has been getting better and better and better and better. It's a two-pronged system for creating player projections. We have a computerized projection system, which includes defensive adjustments based on matchup, home road split adjustments. And those home road splits aren't based on narrative, they're based on actual data collected over the decades. That's why we had Ben Roethlisberger ranked higher than most last week. Later in the week, we're going to have Graham Barfield from Fantasy Guru and Roto World on. We'll ask him about Ben Roethlisberger and, in general, how much he weighs the home road splits when crafting his projections. The computer doesn't merely factor in the opposing defense and home versus road. It weights the projection based on recent game performances and smooths out the outlier performances in both directions. But it's an automated process, and automated processes have flaws. They require human intervention because the computer cannot understand all the nuances of the game the way a human being can. So I sit down with the computer's results, and I go through each player to decide if there's a special circumstance that would justify a modification. And every year, this process has been getting better. I have a better feel for when to intervene and when to stay out of the computer's way. I feel like now the computer and I are getting into a rhythm. And sure enough, this year has been more successful than last year, was more successful than the year before. We're learning and we're improving. Just me and the computer. Sitting down, having a chat about players. Hello, Matt. I think Jonathan Stewart will score 14 fantasy points this week. Do you agree? Uh, sure. Yeah, sounds right.
Hello, Matt. I believe Brandon Cooks will score 17.7 fantasy points this week. Do you agree? Uh, we're probably way off on that, but, uh, sure. So the biggest improvement this year is I am better at staying out of the computer's way because the computer is not influenced by all the biases that infect so many fantasy experts. If Cam Newton's not playing well, Cam Newton's not playing well. The computer doesn't care that Cam Newton has more brand equity than Kirk Cousins. It's going to project Kirk Cousins to score more fantasy points than Cam Newton, even though the experts on fantasy pros disagree. But in the case of Jay Ajayi, the computer doesn't know that the Miami Dolphins are without Brandon Albert. They're without Mike Pouncey. They're without Laramie Tunsil. So that's when I have to intervene. When an impactful event has occurred in the previous week that the computer has no knowledge of. The computer wanted to project Jay Ajayi for over 20 fantasy points. We should have the computer have a British accent, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we rank Jay Ajayi to score an inordinate number of fantasy points this week? He is facing the San Francisco 49ers. They give up a lot of fantasy points to opposing running backs. Ah, see, computer, mm, here's the thing. Ah, Jay Ajayi is just a guy. And if his top offensive linemen are out, his fantasy output will be significantly muted because the offensive line won't be creating these wide running lanes for him to slog through. Instead of breaking tackles three yards downfield, he'll be trying to break tackles in the backfield, even against the 49ers. And sure enough, that's what happened. Jay Ajayi over 20 fantasy points. <laughs> Many of you that listen to the show have a subscription to the ranking, so you've seen us nail a number of these contrarian rankings. Yet still, even trolls that pay for the rankings find a way to taunt me about Brandon Cooks. But not Sterling Shepard, no. We were lower on Sterling Shepard than the rest. He didn't receive a target, and not one compliment. But you know I like Brandon Cooks, so I become a magnet for your brooding disdain. And the taunting of sports personalities comes from insecurity. I know you want to feel smart. We all do. I host this podcast because I crave validation of my intelligence. That's true. I'm aware of that. The self-knowing is not enough for most of us. Most of us. It's not enough for me. It's not enough for most people. It's certainly not enough for internet trolls. But for the most confident, the most secure, and the best people that we have, for them, the self-knowing is enough. But you, the guy criticizing my Brandon Cook's projection, the guy telling me to put my Tyreek Hill points in my vagina, correcting how I pronounce the cornerback for the Houston Texans, you are insecure. You need people to acknowledge your supreme sports intelligence to feel emotionally whole. That's why you troll. I get it. None of this is hard to figure out. Sports is a place where people can feel safe, waving the flag, letting everyone know, hey, on this particular topic, I'm the smartest one in the room. It attracts a wide spectrum of individuals in society, a place that they can congregate and feel smart. That's the magic of sports. And individuals like myself with big voices are the ones that feel the blowback. And I'm cool with it. I get it. 
Just don't expect me to answer your start sick question on Twitter. I get it, and that's why I'm not out here blocking everybody that trolls me. I just have a couple rules about trolling. You cannot call me hateful, racist, sexist, spiteful names. You can't call me a vagina. You can mock me, but you can't relentlessly mock me either, or eventually you will get blocked. The first time you mock me, I'll unfollow you if I'm following you. The second time you mock me, I'll mute you. The third time you mock me, I'll block you. That's my system. It's a good system. If you're mocking me relentlessly, that's a cue that you're never going to be a fan of the show or playerprofiler.com. And therefore, I can safely block you because those are extensions of my sensibilities and I can safely block you without ramification. Others do not have a system like this in place. Kean Fahey does not have this system. Bleacher Reports, Kean Fahey will block people if he has any suspicion whatsoever that they don't share his sports opinions. You can look up the individuals on football Twitter, and no one's blocked more people than Kean Fahey by a wide margin. If you're the guy blocking more people than anyone else, the problem for you might not be the trolls. Maybe the problem is staring at you in the mirror. The Key and Fahey also invites trolling. I want to troll Key and Fahey unlike any other sports personality. Why? Because he says outlandish things and then he's sensitive about it. When I say outlandish things, I say them bracing for the blowback. When he says outlandish things, it comes as a surprise to him when a significant percentage of people vehemently disagree. And another problem that Kean Fahey has is that he says outlandish things that people with access to data and advanced metrics know to be objectively false. But rather than engaging those individuals with the information, he blocks out any dissent immediately. And that is the hallmark trait of a huckster. The refusal to internalize even the slightest dissent. So what's an example of one of Kean Fahey's outlandish positions? Well, he said that Seattle has the best receiving group in the NFL. That's objectively false. Now, the Seattle Seahawks receivers generate tremendous short area separation in their routes. They're great route runners, but they're also small and relatively unathletic compared to other receiving cores. Kean Fahey loves to talk about how the Seattle Seahawks receivers would blow away the Packers receivers because that helps him heap praise on one of his favorite quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers. It's easier to praise Aaron Rodgers and rationalize away his poor performances if you contend that the Packers have bad receivers, but the Packers don't have bad receivers. In fact, the Packers receiving core is very similar to the Seattle Seahawks receiving core. Except no one on Seattle is as good as Jordy Nelson or Devontae Adams. You put Devontae Adams and Doug Baldwin head-to-head, -head, I would take Devontae Adams. He's a bigger, more explosive playmaker than Doug Baldwin. No one on Seattle compares to Jordy Nelson. You could say Randall Cobb is comparable to Tyler Lockett, okay? You could also say no one on the Packers compares to Jimmy Graham. That's fair. So even though I would take the Packers, he would take the Seahawks. I think it's debatable, but I think the Packers are clearly ahead. Kean Fahey doesn't see a debate there. Kean Fahey sees receiving cores on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. It's just wrong. The Seattle Seahawks are not the best receiving core of the NFL. The Saints are better. The Patriots are better. The Jets are better when Decker is healthy. 
Washington's better. The Cowboys are better. The Giants are better. Hell, the Browns are better. Especially when you factor in Duke Johnson. Much rather throw the ball up to Terrell Pryor and Corey Coleman and Gary Barnage and Duke Johnson. The Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, Jermaine Curse, and Jimmy Graham. The more I think about it, the easier that case is to make. So this idea that the Seattle Seahawks have the best receiving core is an absurd non-fact. It's an outlandish, baseless statement. Now, I say outlandish things too. I said Brandon Cooks would be this year's DeAndre Hopkins, and I'm trending wrong. Brandon Cooks is still a top 12 receiver, but DeAndre Hopkins was a top five receiver. So I am trending wrong. Not only did I say Brandon Cooks could be a top five receiver this year, I simultaneously missed Michael Thomas. I did not have Michael Thomas in my top five rookie wide receivers in the 2016 draft class. That was a mistake. By overshooting on Brandon Cooks and undershooting on Michael Thomas, I've set myself up to be spectacularly wrong. And I've talked about how and why I was wrong about the New Orleans wide receiver core on multiple occasions. That's why when you go to Michael Thomas's player page on playerprofiler.com, it reads, very good, Michael Thomas. It's an inside joke on me. I've had other extreme takes like Kenny Stills has more tactical value than Jarvis Landry. Except then last week we saw both Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker outproduce Jarvis Landry. And now that Devontae Parker is healthy, the Dolphins no longer need to feed Jarvis Landry on five-yard slants. And what's happened? Jarvis Landry's fantasy output since the Dolphins came back from their bye 6.3 fantasy points, 11.3 fantasy points, 13.8 fantasy points, 8.7 fantasy points. He's averaging 10 fantasy points a game. Last year, without a healthy Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry 16.8 fantasy points per game. Why? Because Jarvis Landry holds very little tactical value for the Miami Dolphins. That was a crazy extreme take. Super outlandish. But on that position, I'm trending right. And no one whose opinion I respect and whose data I respect has challenged that position. So now I feel confident. Yet those without the expertise or the data that I respect, they were jumping up and down telling me how wrong I was when I first made that assertion. And I didn't block them like Kean Fahey would have. I just waited. And then suddenly these people look up after week 12 and realize, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Matt Kelly was right. And maybe those people become fans of the show. And maybe they tweet me something interesting. Maybe they tweet me something humorous and I retweet it. And then they go to the podcast section of the website. They click learn more about the Minion program and they become official supporters of the show. Good thing I didn't block them. The people that most vehemently disagreed with me early on are some of my most ardent followers. But early on, those people also didn't tell me to shove a football in my vagina. If you try to tell Kean Fahey to shove a football in his vagina, he would block you before you even finish typing out the word vagina, much less send the tweet. You'd be blocked before it even goes out. And I believe Kean Fahey's doing himself a disservice by being such an aggressive blocker, but he makes up for it because his con game is quite good. He has over 20,000 followers now. A lot of people think his information is top of the food chain good, and it's not. He now has a regular segment on the only radio show I pay any attention to, The Dan Lebertard Show with Stu Gotts. 
Kean and his Irish accent, which is tremendous. Give him credit where he deserves it. It's a great Irish accent. I'm not sure how he stays in that Irish character for an entire interview. I can't keep doing Jaya Jai. Got a bit tackled by some 49ers last weekend. Can't keep that up. Kean Fahey somehow stays in character with an Irish accent for an entire interview. It's stunning how he does it. And Kean has Dan Lebetard fooled. Lebetard thinks Kean's football analysis is the best in the industry. He thinks that. And Dan Lebetard's one of the smartest guys in sports radio. So what does that tell you? It tells you that Kean Fahey is good at faking it. And the reason why Dan Lebetard can be fooled is because he's a generalist. In my opinion, he's the best generalist out there, but he's still a generalist. He has to cover baseball and basketball and football. And what he cares most about is the sociology of sports, the big picture. So a big picture person is not equipped to challenge Kean Fahey when he says the Seattle Seahawks have the best receiving core in the NFL. Only a specialist, someone devoted to a single sport that has the core competency in the area of expertise can detangle the false bravado and the confirmation bias data mining from truly substantive, objective reasoning in sports commentary. And yes, as luck would have it, I happen to be one of those specialists. A specialist with a special set of skills for identifying bad analysis and diagnosing the root cause of the bad analysis. One of Kean Fahey's most spectacular failures was his evaluation of Kirk Cousins. Fahey is a self-described quarterback expert. That's his focus area, quarterback position. Kean Fahey believed Kirk Cousins was a below-replacement quarterback, and he was spectacularly wrong. But rather than admit he was wrong, what does he do? He digs in. Last Thursday, Kean Fahey tweeted that Washington was winning in spite of their quarterback. <laughs> that Kirk Cousins betrayed Washington with, with a number of misguided throws in the first half. Yes, Washington winning despite Kirk Cousins. That was Kean Fahey's position five days ago. Now, I believe if you wiped his memory and dropped Kean Fahey off in week 12, that wouldn't have been his analysis. His analysis was tainted by previously bad takes, take lock. We had Rich Rebar on the show talking about take lock as it related to Devontae Adams. Early in the season, we noticed Devontae Adams had the best target premium on playerprofiler.com. Any given target directed at Devontae Adams was accumulating more receptions, more yards, more touchdowns, more fantasy points than a target directed at any of the other wide receivers in the Green Bay offense. We noticed that via the target premium metric in early October, we talked about it with Rich Rebar, the originator of the target premium metric. It was beautiful. Rather than allowing yourself to remain a prisoner of your own sports takes, it requires significant effort and intellectual fortitude to back away from a previously strident take and reassess. And that's what we did with Devontae Adams. Reassessed him in early October. We've been buying Devontae Adams in every format ever since. And then last night, we were rewarded. Devontae Adams, five receptions, 113 yards, two touchdowns. Talked about how we'll have Graham Barfield from FantasyGuru.com and RotoWorld.com on the show later in the week. He tweeted out, Devontae Adams is now eighth in fantasy points per snap this season. He ranked 
fifth to last out of 71 qualified receivers in fantasy points per snap in 2015. So Devontae Adams is the comeback player of the year. I still would give it to Terrell Pryor because Terrell Pryor came back from being washed out of the league at the quarterback position and like a phoenix rising from the ashes reinvented himself as an elite wide receiver. I think that deserves comeback player of the year recognition more than Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams is close because Devontae Adams was historically inefficient last year, and this year, Devontae Adams has been one of the most efficient wide receivers in the NFL. His target premium, plus 15.7%, number 22 in the league. His production premium, which is his situation agnostic efficiency metric, any given down and distance, what is Devontae Adams doing for your team, plus 14.6, that's top 20 in the league. And he's only dropping 4% of his targets. He has one of the best drop rates in the NFL. Devontae Adams of all people. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about Devontae Adams right now. That's insane. And I'm happy for him. And I'm not afflicted with take lock. Kean Fahey is afflicted with take lock. Look no further than his position on Kirk Cousins on Thursday. Previous takes are wagging the dog. He's unable to analyze Kirk Cousins' play objectively. It's clear. Instead of admitting he's wrong, he's digging in. And the inability to admit fault is a hallmark trait of the con man. We are creating a psychological trait matrix for Kean Fahey. All signs point to huckster, con man. But he's not really a con man, is he? He's a sports analyst. He's not doing anything serious. The analysis he's providing is just for fun. Kean Fahey is more of a fortune-telling psychic than he is a fake doctor. And I find the Kean Fahey archetype, the super sensitive con man character that he's created, I find him exceptionally interesting. Even while vehemently objecting to his sports opinions, his position on the Seattle Seahawks receivers and Kirk Cousins aren't even his most objectionable positions. I found his analysis of Sam Bradford and Ryan Tannehill to be the most egregious. He has been insisting for years that Ryan Tannehill has the potential to be a top quarterback in the league and that Sam Bradford is wildly underrated. And neither of those things are true. Ryan Tannehill is Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton is Ryan Tannehill. <gasps> An amazing revelation. Andy Dalton has his A.J. Green. And when A.J. Green is healthy, he elevates Andy Dalton to QB1 status in fantasy football. And when A.J. Green's not in the lineup, Andy Dalton becomes a low-end QB2. The relationship is the same between Ryan Tannehill and Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker elevates the replacement-leveled Ryan Tannehill to low-end QB1 status when he's healthy and performing. And when he's not healthy, when he's not in the lineup... Ryan Tannehill falls outside the top 20 fantasy quarterbacks. The Dolphins and the Bengals are in QB purgatory. They just don't know it yet because they have wide receivers in A.J. Green and Devontae Parker that conceal the limitations of their quarterbacks. But you can't win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. You can't win a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton. Those quarterbacks don't elevate the team the way Kirk Cousins elevates Washington. And Kean Fahey believes everything I just said is 100% wrong. Because Kean Fahey doesn't actually know what he's watching. When he watches a play on the All-22 tape, he can't be sure what's going on. He can't know the goals of the play he's watching. This is why film analysis on its own does not provide actionable information. 
You cannot make fantasy football decisions based on game film observations alone, particularly game film observations by people like Kean Fahey that lack credentials. Malcolm Gladwell writes that 10,000 hours of practice is required to obtain mastery in a field. First of all, that's an arbitrary number. It's made up. There's no such thing as a magic even number of 10,000 anywhere because it differs based on the task that you're trying to master, the skill set you're trying to master, and it differs based on the person. Certain people learn faster than others. So the 10,000 hour mark is a fake threshold. But for the sake of argument, Key and Fahey exemplifies why the 10,000 hours to mastery isn't a universal threshold. Because Key and Fahey will never be a transcendent analyst the way the Beatles transcended music. That was the example that Malcolm Gladwell used in his book on mastery, the Beatles mastering rock and roll. Kean Fahey will never master football the way the Beatles mastered rock and roll. Forget the Beatles. He won't master football the way the Gin Blossoms mastered rock and roll. Why? Because he lacks the fundamental credentials and baseline understanding of the sport. It's like he's trying to read a book in a language for which he never learned the alphabet. Because it's clear that Kean Fahey has a tremendous work ethic. You go to his website, presnapreads.com. He puts a lot of effort into the craft. He puts a lot of effort into his most recent article, Kirk Cousins and Empty Drives. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> so predictable! God! Just once, Kean. Surprise me. Once. He's a hard worker. He's been stitching together a career at Bleacher Report. Think about how hard that is to rise at Bleacher Report. It's not easy. So I respect his fortitude. I respect his tenacity. I respect his work ethic. But that doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. Because just giving an all-22 tape to a Bleacher Report writer and saying... Master the art of QB scouting. That would be like giving me a Chinese textbook and saying, Master the Chinese language. Yes, I could sit down with it and maybe I could express with authority what I believe the textbook is saying based on the images and, and piecing together some information that I've gleaned in various contexts and fill the rest in with some narrative and, and I could give you a book report. Yes, I could. The book report could be very long, very detailed. It could be, right? It's possible. I could tell you an elaborate story about what I think the book was about, all the while not having a clue about what the book was actually about. But that's what draft nicks do every day during NFL draft season. That's what tape grinders do. My daughter loves to draw. But her evolution as an artist is not this smooth, linear progression. Her style changes dramatically. Her drawing improves after she learns new techniques from teachers or YouTube videos. She could draw and draw and draw and draw all day, every day, and still be drawing stick figures. That's what Kean Fahey's doing, with no hope of improving his understanding of the sport. And it's exemplified by Kean Fahey's affinity for Sam Bradford and Ryan Tannehill. He believes those quarterbacks 
make great throws and make great decisions because he lacks the imagination that is required to see the game at a higher level. You can sit down with that All-22 tape and analyze the throws Ryan Tannehill's making, analyze the throws that Sam Bradford's making, and you can say, oh, that was a good throw. He hit the open guy there. He hit the open guy there. He hit the open guy there. You could have a checklist and see that on 21 of 22 throws, Ryan Tannehill throw to the quote-unquote proper receiver, the receiver that was the most open. You can create a scorecard that says Sam Bradford and Ryan Tannehill are two of the best decision makers in the NFL. The problem is you wouldn't see the throws that aren't there that Aaron Rodgers sees, that Drew Brees sees, that Kirk Cousins sees. Oh, that was a dangerous throw by Kirk Cousins. But he's willing to make those throws and he sees scenarios play out and where that pass lands in the arms of Jamison Crowder for a 50-yard touchdown. And watching the All-22 tape, you would have never imagined that outcome could have played out the way it did. You would have been screaming at Kirk Cousins to throw it to Chris Thompson in the flat on 3rd and 10 for a 5-yard gain. Because that's what Sam Bradford does. That's what Alex Smith does. That's what these fearful game managers do. And those fearful game managers receive high grades from analysts like Kean Fahey. The perfect illustration of the great flaw in their analysis. Fahey lacks the imagination to see throws that aren't obvious. He doesn't see the throws that are possible like a true master of a craft would. But let me be clear, he does know football. He's capable of making tremendous insights about the sport of football and the quarterback position specifically. Absolutely. It's like a music critic listening to the Beatles. He recognizes this is good music, but he doesn't understand the instruments or the chords. And because of that... The analysis that's based purely on game film analysis by people like Kean Fahey is fundamentally flawed because he's a fan, he's not a musician.